Hey guys, welcome to the College Age Movement Podcast. We are in week one of our series, Esther. And the story of Esther is a really significant one. Uh, but what's really interesting about the book of Esther is that it's probably the least spiritual book in all of Scripture. That it doesn't really talk about God at all, but it talks about these, these human characters who do very human things. Um, but there is this practical element that is just absolutely beautiful. We talk about here, Call J's practical spirituality, where it's really important to have those big spiritual moments and understand that God's big and he does incredible things, but also understand the significance of the practicality in our spirituality, to understand that the little things are just as important as the big, magnificent things. And so we're going to walk through about four chapters of the book of Esther today. It's, it's a lot of scripture, and I'm going to do the Sparks Note version of a lot of this, um, but we're going to be in chapters one through four, and, and we're going to jump in right at chapter one, and what's happening in this moment is the King Xerxes, uh, yes, if you've seen 300, it's based off of this king, King Xerxes, who rules most of the known world at this time. The Persian Empire is absolutely incredible. They over a hundred provinces. There's there's just an unbelievable amount of land and people that are under the rule of King Xerxes. And uh, we, we, we step in at chapter one and King Xerxes is throwing this magnificent banquet. It's just super gaudy and like unbelievable. And it talks about people drinking out of gold goblets that none, not one is like any of the others. And he's just showing off his wealth and his might to all of the other noble people that are here at this banquet. And at the same time, his queen Vashti is, is throwing her own banquet for the own banquet for her, her noble women. And at some point, King Xerxes summons Queen Vashti to come to him, and she says, no, she refuses to come to him, and it makes him very, very angry. So he gathers around his advisors, and they say, the best thing to do here is to um, throw her out of her royal position, that she is no longer the queen, and we will replace her with someone better. So then, between chapter one and chapter two, a lot of scholars believe that the Battle of Marathon, if you're familiar with this, this, this invasion of Greece by the Persian Empire happens in between chapter 1 and chapter 2. And this is an unbelievable battle, and it's the biggest defeat that the Persian Empire has ever uh, received. That They say that up to 2 million soldiers go, and that as little as 5,000 return from this battle. So King Xerxes is very frustrated. He just he just suffered the greatest defeat in his life, and he is, is in a terrible mood. And so the advisors are going to try to find a way to put their king in a good mood. And so at the beginning of chapter two, we find uh, these, these noblemen who are trying to, to figure out something that is going to put King Xerxes in a better mood. And what they suggest is to find a beautiful woman from every province of the Persian Empire a virgin to come and sleep with the king and to to replace Queen Vashti with one of these new virgin virgins who are going to, uh, quote unquote, please the king in more ways um, than Queen Vashti would. And whether it be the physicality of it, their, their personality, or just their physical beauty, they're going to impress King Xerxes with one of these women, and he's going to have a new queen, and he loves that idea. And then we're introduced to one of the main characters of this story, Mordecai, who's a noble Jewish man, who's a man of faith, and his cousin, Esther. 
And Esther is is hot to trot. She she's an incredible woman, and it, it talks through this uh, this series or this season of preparation. And when she comes before the king, he is so pleased with her that, she, that she, he is so pleased with her that he makes her the next queen. So we're going to to pick up in Esther chapter 2, verses 17 through 18. And it's really important that we understand this, is that, that as we read this and, and we look at it in context, that Esther didn't really have a choice in the matter, that she was a woman who was taken from her home, she was placed in the king's court, and that if she would have refused, she probably would have lost her life. So Esther chapter 2, verses 17 through 18 says this, Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti, and the king gave a great banquet. Esther's banquet for all his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with low, with royal liberality. Distributed gifts with royal liberality. So the first point today is this, is that God will place you where you didn't know you needed to be. God will place you where you didn't know you needed to be. Esther had absolutely no idea what was about to happen in her life. But what's important for us to understand today through this story is that God goes before we know. God goes before we know. God goes before we know what's about to happen in our lives. God is not waiting for us to be in a certain position or circumstance before he starts to work on our behalf. And we should find confidence in that. There are no surprises to God. That as we enter into specific circumstances or situations that God has been working on our behalf before we have entered into them. He will continue to work for us while we are in them, but he has been preparing us and he has been preparing soil for us to enter into those circumstances and still have something positive happen with it. Now, Esther didn't know, and Scripture doesn't really indicate whether Esther was excited about the opportunity or going through the process begrudgingly, but either way, God was going to use the circumstance. God is not flustered by our humanity. Our broken processes do not negate his divine purposes. I want to say that again. Our broken processes do not negate his divine purposes. He can and will use you in all circumstances. He will use you in the good circumstances. He will use you in bad circumstances. He will use you in the situations that you prefer and the situations that you really don't prefer at all. That God goes and he prepares and he plants seeds and he does these incredible things so that when we are in the circumstance, we are readily available. And sometimes we we are so excited about being available to God and sometimes we are really hesitant to be available to God, but God will use us either way. That he will use our circumstance for his kingdom, and uh, we should be really excited about that and understand that there's confidence to be found in knowing that we have a God who goes before us. So we'll continue on the story, Esther chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. And it says this, it says, When the virgins were assembled a second time, Mordecai, Esther's cousin, was sitting at the king's gate. But Esther had kept secret her family background and nationality, just as Mordecai had told her to do, for she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. So Mordecai's sitting at the king's gate. Scripture talks about how he stays around the king's palace because he wants updates on how Esther is doing. He cares so greatly for Esther, and he wants to know what is going on. So he is sitting at the king's gate. But this is the the phrase that I want to, to kind of focus in on, is that she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. So the next point today is this, get close to wisdom. 
get close to wisdom. We don't have a perfect picture of how devout Esther was. We already talked about that, but we know that she listened closely to Mordecai, who was described as a faith-filled man. And I think that this teaches us a simple but vital lesson. Surround yourself with people who are in tune with God. There are going to be seasons of your life where you are not really in tune with God, that, that your faith might be lacking, that, that there might be just these seasons where you don't feel super close to your creator. And, and that's natural. That's a part of our process. That's a part of our humanity. But what's really important is that we surround ourselves with other people who are in tune with what God would want for their lives, but also in tune with God. It, that, that could give us an idea and pr- perspective on how we should live our lives, that we get to be that for people, but we also need people to be that for us in specific circumstances. When we surround ourselves with wisdom, both spiritual and practical, it will only aid us in our lives. We aren't meant to make all decisions or do all things solo. So we have to get around people. And Esther was smart enough to do that. Esther knew that Mordecai was a, a man of wisdom. She knew that, that he was a man of God and that he was faith-filled. And, and no matter where she found herself in her spiritual journey with God, what we do understand is that she respected Mordecai so much and she listened to him and knew that he had wisdom to speak into her life. So we're going to pick up chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. It says this, this is, After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman's son of Hamadatha and Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. All royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him, but Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated, for he had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the entire kingdom of Xerxes. See, Mordecai didn't bow because Haman represented a king who considered himself to be God. And so he knew that he had to stand for his God, that he was a faith-filled man who knew that the God of Jacob, the God of Israel, was the God that he wanted to follow, and he was going to be willing to stand for it. So the next point is this, simply this, stand. This was most likely a common practice among Jews at the time. Because of his position and location, though, Mordecai was putting his life on the line for his faith. That it was probably common for Jews not to bow down to to the king or to the king's officials or noblemen because King Xerxes considered himself to be God. And while they obeyed all the laws, while, while they still were really intricate parts of the society, there was something that they were willing to stand for, and that was to make sure that they honored God, not honored an earthly king. So this leads us to the question, what are we willing to stand for? Thankfully, we live in a culture and a country that we will most likely not required be required to fear for our lives because of our beliefs. But it could be argued that that has caused us to not really stand for anything because our faith becomes comfortable and our faith becomes convenient. And when faith becomes comfortable or convenient, it also can become stagnant. And we talk about routine all the time in the church. We talk about how we need to set aside time to 
to speak to God and read our Bible and all of those things. And that's absolutely true. We need to make sure that we find time. But I think there's also danger in routine that if your day becomes monotonous and your day just becomes boxes to be checked, that our faith can become stagnant. And we don't do things because we're excited about it. We don't do things because we want to. We do things because that's just how our day lays out. And we need to run away from that. Faith should be challenging. It should stretch us. We should, we should ask ourselves, like, what am I doing to stretch my faith? What, a, what am I doing to make myself uncomfortable in my faith? Am I going to believe big things? Am I going to pray dangerous prayers? Am I going to do those things that require me to have a little bit more faith than I had yesterday? And I, I don't know where you're at today, but I know for me, I don't want my faith to be a monotonous grind. I want it to be exciting, and I want it to be life-giving. I want to make sure that everything that I'm doing is is stretching my faith and making me me be in these situations where God is necessary and I am not comfortable. Here's the thing, though, that we have to remember as we take a stand, is that taking a stand means holding firm to our own beliefs, not attacking the beliefs of others. Jesus, the, the whole message of the gospel is an invitation, not an obligation. And that's really important for us to understand as we get to interact with other people who are taking stands for their beliefs as well. That we're to hold our ground. We're not, we're not to just attack people because of their beliefs. We're, we're supposed to invite people into the holy ground that we get to stay on. This, this life that is dedicated to God, we want to invite people into that, not go and attack the stands that they are taking. It's not about proving other people wrong. It's about being secure in our own faith. And that can get really messy and it can be tempting to debate and fight with those in our lives. But our example is Jesus. And Jesus, he didn't waste time in debates or fights. He just, he spoke truth and then he proved it with the way that he lived. And that is a really good example for us that we would speak truth, that we would stand firm in our beliefs, that, that we would communicate very clearly what it is that we hold dear, the, the hills that we are willing to stand on to the very bitter end. But at the same time that we would avoid the debates and the fights because that really doesn't provide fruit. We just need to invite people onto those hills. We need to invite people into our lives and say, hey, this is what Jesus has done for me. This is the way that he's changed my life. This is the way that his love and his grace and his mercy has transformed me. And I think that it would be an incredible thing if you stepped into it too. And I think that you would meet the same Jesus that I know. Standing up for something doesn't mean standing still, though. We still have to move. We still have to go. We still have to act on behalf of God. It's not about standing firm-footed in one thing. It's about knowing what our beliefs are and moving through life with that same stance. So Mordecai finds out that Haman is really, really angry and has been granted the ability to tell all the provinces of King Xerxes to eliminate all the Jews on a specific day. He has that signet ring, so he gets to make this decree that all the Jewish people are free reign, that you can kill man, woman, child on a specific day. And Mordecai is petrified, and he doesn't know exactly what to do, but then he remembers that his incredible, beautiful cousin is in this position of royalty, that she is now the queen. So he goes to Esther, and he begs her to beg on behalf of the people, of uh, the Jewish people, for mercy from King Xerxes. So we'll pick up in Esther chapter 4, verses 11 through 14, where Esther and Mordecai start this dialogue with each other. And so it says this, it says, um, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned has but one law, that they would be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. So this is Esther telling Mordecai, hey, I have not been summoned and I could lose my life if I go to him and beg for mercy on behalf of my people 
because he hasn't asked me to come. And he, if he doesn't extend that gold scepter to me, I could lose my life. But when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. He said, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance from the Jew, for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And then he says this phrase that many of us have heard. And who knows but that you have come to your royal, royal position for such a time as this. For such a time as this. So this brings us to our next point. God's purpose over our excuses. It's so easy for us to think of the 15 reasons or 50 reasons or 500 reasons why God shouldn't use, use us. There's, there's not very many of us would say, well, here's the 15 reasons that I think God should use me because I'm freaking awesome. Most of us think about our insufficiencies and the ways that we come up short and we use those as excuses as to why God couldn't use us. You see, up to this point, it could have been easily... Uh, assumed by Esther that, that she was a glorified concubine, that, that she didn't have influence, that she didn't have power, that her physical, physical appearance and actions had landed her the position of queen. And up to this point, she just thought that this was the life that she kind of fell into, that she lucked out with being the queen, that, that this was something that, that wasn't necessarily God-ordained, that this was something that just happened. But Esther may have been queen because of her natural beauty, but God was going to purpose her for something supernatural, and this is the moment where Mordecai communicates this message. Like maybe, maybe, just maybe, you have reached this royal position for such a time as this. And Esther has this light bulb go off. That maybe it's not just about being beautiful. And maybe it's not just about pleasing the queen or king. Maybe it's not just happenstance. Maybe this isn't coincidence. Maybe this is divine intention by God. So wherever you are today, like whether it feels like you're supposed to be in your current life situation or not, God can use it. And if we can be people who posture ourselves in front of God and say, I don't like this situation, I don't know why I'm in this situation, or I love this situation, whatever it is, but we say, God, use it. Use this however it is that you need to use it. Too often we write off opportunities as coincidence, and, and we need to look at those things as divine purpose that God is going to use our situations for the furtherment or the advancement of the gospel. Maybe you have come to this fortune or unfortunate position, whatever it may be, for such a time as this. Maybe God is just waiting for you to see the opportunity. So we're going to wrap up with chapter 4, verses 15 through 16, and this is Esther's response. She gets to say this. She says, Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. If I perish, I perish. So this is what's really interesting is that even though this isn't a spiritual book, we, we, we get the, the idea or the, the declaration by Esther to go and fast. And you didn't just fast. It wasn't just about not eating or drinking for three days. It was about praying for three days as well. And that's an incredible thing for us to look at, that Esther understood that there was value in seeking God out for a significant period of time before she did something. She wanted God to, to provide favor for her in the situation, but she also wanted good direction. She also wanted to, to ask God about the best way to do what she was about to do, and then ends the statement with, if I perish, I perish. Now, Esther is a hero. 
she's a hero because she's willing to give up her security. She's willing to give up her position. She's willing to give up her life itself for others. And that's why the next point is this, others always, others always. It, it's a beautiful foreshadowing of Jesus and his willingness to give his life to save ours. This is Esther's, not my will, but your will be done moment. If I perish, then I perish. She understood that what her calling went above her, the, her comfort, that her calling was what she was supposed to do and that she had reached this royal position for this time. This was the God-ordained moment and she didn't want to miss it. She knew that this was what she was supposed to be. So wherever you are at today, understand it might be right now, it might be a year in the future, it might be a decade away, but there's going to be moments in your life, in my life, where we have reached the position that we're at, whether it be a physical position, a relational position, whatever it is, that God would be saying, I need you to move because I've been preparing you for such a time as this. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into the College Age Movement podcast again. If you are in Billings, we always wanna make sure that we invite you to come to College Age on Tuesday nights at seven o'clock at Faith Chapel. There's nothing better than getting in community, worshiping together, getting to know each other and learning with one another. If you're not in Billings, then we hope this podcast continues to be a resource for you. We will talk to you guys very soon.